How many are ready to get into the word this morning? You got, I got to say, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I just, man, I just, I love being in the presence of God. I love being in worship. If I could, I would just stay in worship today. But I, I have had the, a message that has been ringing in my spirit, has been ringing in my soul this last week. And it is uh, one of those things that just, it kept coming up. And so, Austin, if you want to pull up, it's uh, the PowerPoint, it's freedom in the spirit. Say freedom in the spirit. Say freedom. Say freedom in the spirit. Amen. And I cannot pull it up on my iPad right now. Oh, there it is. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's going to be a sign right there. Let's pray before we go before the Lord with the word. Lord, I thank you for this message. Lord, this message, which is so important to our faith. Lord, I pray that this morning, those who are here, those who are watching online, those who are listening at a later date, Lord, that this would affect them, that they would hold on to it, that they would remember it in their walk with you. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The words that have been ringing in my spirit are found in 2 Corinthians 3.17. Go ahead and pull that first slide up there. It says this, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen? Say where, the, say, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, as I was studying this week in preparation for, for the Word this morning, I began to dig into and analyze the context of this verse. How many know context is important, right? We've talked about this before. You can't just read the Bible. You have to read the Bible, right? You want to dig in. You want to study to show yourself approved. You want to understand what was being said and why it was being said. There's an old joke in the church about context and making sure we're not just pointing out random scriptures and applying them to our life, right? The joke is that one man was randomly thumbing through the Bible when he saw that Judas went and hung himself. He then flipped the pages of his Bible and put his finger down on Luke chapter 10, and it said, go and do likewise. We don't want to do that. Right? It's an old joke. It's kind of a stupid joke, to be honest with you. It's not a great joke, but that's the kind of thing. How many know that using the Bible in that way is not a good idea? Using the Bible in that way is not a good idea. And of course, it's, you know, to be honest with you, the joke, it's unlikely it ever actually happened that way. So I pray to God it didn't. But when we get back into the seriousness of Scripture, there are many times, how many know, that verses can be taken out of context and then used in strange and manipulative ways because that's what happens. Some people have taken freedom in the Spirit and they've run wild with it. They've taken freedom in the Spirit and they use it to justify sin and lawlessness. Well, you can't tell me that I have freedom in the Spirit. Don't you know I am free? Hallelujah. The chains are broken off, right? And so now the, they, they operate in sin and lawlessness, and they justify it by using scriptures out of context. In our Christian walk, we want to be very careful to maintain context. My job, part of my job, a big part of my job, 
in bringing you the sermon each week or most weeks is to rightly divide the word. Is that right? Amen? I hope you agree with that. That's a big part of it, right? Is to rightly divide the word, to share it with you in context, right? We want to know what the Lord was speaking to them then and how it applies or speaks to us now. And so that's what we do. So I'll give you a clear example relating to this verse specifically. I, uh, I watched a, a, a minister, he had posted an article about uh, finally paying off his college loans. How many know it's, that's good? That's a good thing. Nothing wrong. That's it. Hallelujah. He paid off his college loans. He said it took him many years to do it. When he wrote that last check, he felt like he had been set free because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's a, that is not the way. The, that is not. And he went, listen, listen, I'm happy he was able to pay off his loans. But there should be a full understanding that this verse has nothing to do with financial freedom. Did you understand that? This verse has nothing to do with financial freedom. Some would say, well, Pastor David, that doesn't seem like a big deal. I mean, it really doesn't seem like that big of a stretch or that big of a deal. And I would say this. I want to urge you this morning to understand that taking the Bible out of context is always a big deal. Amen? This is the Word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit, spoken through men, written down. It's to us. It's for us. And so the Bible is God's Word and instruction for our life. And while this might seem a small infraction, it's indicative of the culture around us. Because the culture around us, listen, how many know that with all the changes happening around us in the world right now, we as Christians need to know clearly and fully how God wants to direct us. There's so many changes happening. There's so many things going on. And listen, we want to know, God, how do you want to lead us? And that's not a small thing, that's a big thing. And so when we talk about context and talk about giving the Word of God and talk about God directing our lives, there's a seriousness to it. I love that God is lighthearted. I love that God can kind of, you know, uh, does some funny things once in a while. I think God has a great sense of humor because he created me. And my wife would say... (laughs) So a lot of people would disagree with that. I'll say that right now, but that's okay. With that being said, listen, I'm studying this chapter and verse, and I believe the word this morning will bring freedom to our souls in understanding clearly what God is saying through the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. So to understand the context of what's being said in verse 17, we're going to start at the beginning of chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And it says this. Oh, let me find it here. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letters of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. Say by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. David Guzik shares uh, in his commentary about the early church, 
many times a false teacher or a false prophet would, would come into the body of believers and simply say, well, hey, Paul sent me to tell you this. Or Peter sent me to tell you this. So what they would do in order to stop that kind of falsehood from happening, they would send with them letters of recommendation. How many know what a letter of recommendation is? How many ever had a job application or job before and you needed to bring your application, then it may be a letter of recommendation. So listen, they would come with no accountability. They would come and say, hey, Paul sent me, Peter sent me. So in order to stop that, we said, okay, we need to have some letters of recommendation. Imagine going to a job interview for a math teacher. Say you want to be a math teacher, right? And so you go to a job interview for a math teacher, and during the interview, they ask you for a copy of your college transcripts, and then they would ask, more than likely, maybe a letter of recommendation. How many know why they do this? Anybody? They do this to, so that, do you know math? right? They want to ensure that you understand math. They want to ensure that you understand numbers and adding and subtracting and multiplying and dividing and all the other things that are way over my head. All right? So they want to make sure that you understand math. If they didn't do this, almost anybody could take the job simply by saying they know math. Right? Anybody could take the job. They didn't know, they don't know any math. They just want a paycheck. So they go into the schools, and what happens? They begin to teach the students a lot of math that doesn't make any sense. And that's how Common Core got started. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's just a joke. That's not how it got started. Uh, it's probably not far off. But <laughs> it's, all right, so a lot of parents got that. Jeff is like, what's Common Core? What are you talking about? I saw Jeff look at Kay like, oh, this is confusing. <laughs> that's awesome. One of the ways in the early church to protect themselves from false teachers and false prophets was to have a letter of recommendation. So, in fact, Paul sent many letters of recommendation along with his students and along with those he was teaching and discipling. And so we see here that Paul, in speaking to the Corinthian church, shares about a letter of recommendation that far exceeds what can be written in ink. There's a letter of recommendation that far exceeds a piece of paper. Instead, the recommendation is written on our hearts. Paul says that we as Christians have a letter of recommendation, not written with ink, but written by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Amen? The Spirit of the living God has written it. He says that our recommendation is known and read by all men. Say all men. I like the analogy that was given in the commentary, so I'm going to use it. Is that okay? You don't have to say yes. I'm going to use it anyway, so that's okay. Uh, how many know that, well, maybe you don't know, but before I came here as a pastor, as the pastor of this church, yes, Ella, that's right. Before I came here as the pastor of this church, I was ordained by a church uh, in Michigan, and I had the credentials of being an ordained minister of God. So I had the credentials of being an ordained minister, right? And so in talking with different churches and different pastors, it gave me a legitimacy in ministry that I would not have had if I didn't have the ordination, okay? So I remember uh, calling up a church one time. I was a youth pastor in Illinois. And I called up a church, and I wanted to talk to a pastor 
about uh, an opportunity to do some outreach. And so I called and I said, yes, is uh, Pastor so-and-so in? And I said, and the secretary got on the phone and she goes, uh, yeah, uh, who is this? And it was kind of that tone. And it was like, yeah, who's this? I go, well, this is Pastor David Hovinga. And they said, oh, 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 Pastor. Yes, absolutely, right away, sir. And I went, ooh. I went, uh-oh, something shifted there. Something changed there. Because they understood that when somebody has pastor in their name, they've done the work, they've done what they have to do. Now there's some, there's many that don't. How many know that's true, right? But the truth is that I've been, now since coming here, I've been ordained through the FCA, and I have credentials in Iowa, and I have credentials in Minnesota, and they are my, what are called certificates of ordination, okay? They're nice to have. They're pieces of paper. They're written in ink. I have them in my office. But how many know that the truth is, it's just ink and paper, right? The truth is that while there's a very important purpose in ordination, the true mark of a minister is not in a piece of paper, but in the lives who are impacted by Christ through the ministry. It's not just in a piece of paper, that's ink and paper. I know many people that are ordained to be ministers, and have little to show in the way of changed hearts and minds. Pastor so-and-so, hey, Pastor, Reverend so-and-so, Holy Most Prophet so-and-so. And yet little is shown in their ministries. Paul says that the mark in our lives as a believer in Christ is not a letter, but in whether or not the truth of God is written on our hearts. Amen? Verse 4 through 6 says this. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency, say our sufficiency, is from God. Amen? Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Amen? I want you to clearly understand the words of Paul here. He is introducing the early church and to us, not that he's saying this, your confidence should never be in the letter of the law. Your confidence cannot be found in the letter. It is only found through Christ. The confidence we have, the, the boldness we have, is only found in Christ. It is only through him that we find our sufficiency. And then he throws down the gauntlet, so to speak. I kind of like what Paul does here. Paul says this. These are words that you have to understand. Paul is coming from a Jewish background. In talking about the letter of the law, he's specifically referring to the Mosaic law. And he says this, for the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. The letter kills. Paul here is making sure that he's clear about the message. For thousands of years, we have been judged according to the law. That's what he's saying. For thousands of years, we are under the old covenant. But now, say now, now we are under a new covenant. Amen? Amen? Bob likes that. Amen, Bob? 
We are under a new covenant. Listen, there is a disturbing movement among Christians today who show confusion between the old covenant and the new covenant. There's a disturbing movement. They're, they're willing to put on the shackles of the law. They're willing to put on the shackles of the Old Testament because they have been deceived into believing that their works will gain them righteousness rather than the blood of Jesus Christ. Right? And so the movement is, is moving people away from grace and towards works. I had a person tell me personally, uh, we were, he was on Facebook and he had posted some stuff and he was a friend from college and I sent him a private message and I said, well, I mean, we look at all these scriptures and how can you hold to these things? And, and he was basically saying, if you don't follow the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, if you don't follow them explicitly, you're going to hell. I said, where's Christ in the equation? I said, where's the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant? And so just in case this point isn't clear, Paul expounds on it further in verse 7. And this is what he calls it. He uses some strong language here. I hope you can see it. I try not to make it too small, but I wanted to fit it into this thing. So it says this. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, notice the language he uses there. The ministry of death carved on letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gain and gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Now, I want to stop there just a second. How many have ever seen the movie? I love this movie. It's one of my favorite movies. The Ten Commandments. It was directed by Cecil B. DeMille. It's a very famous picture. It's shown every Easter, usually on ABC. One of my favorite movies. For that time period, I look at just as a movie lover, I look at the special effects, I look at the acting, I look at all of it. It's a beautiful story, right? Have, have you seen it? You know what I'm talking about. We're not, you're not dead this morning, right? Wake up. This isn't a ministry of death, right? Come on. How many, how many know what I'm talking about? Charlton Heston, very famous movie. How many don't know what I'm talking about? How many have never seen this movie? Oh, children, you need to learn. It's all right. Very famous movie, very exciting. Yule Brenner, nailed it, right? There's a scene in the movie, it's one of my favorites. And it's just depicted in such a great way. When Moses first sees the burning bush, you remember the scene, you remember, he, he sees, he's talking with Joshua and he says, there's a bush that's burning up on the mountain. It's Mount Sinai. And so he starts to climb. And he gets to the bush, and the Lord speaks to him in that James Earl Jones-type voice that just reeks of divinity, right? So he experiences the glory of God. He stands on holy ground. And then he comes off the mountain. And Moses' wife and Joshua are there waiting for Moses to come down the mountain. And Joshua sees Moses in the distance and 
The words he says is his face. Look at his face, and his face appeared to be shining. And you say, well, Pastor David, is that in Scripture? I'll show you, and it's just secondhand. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, he uses some strong language again. Not now, it's ministry of death and ministry of condemnation. The ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Say, have glory. In case it wasn't clear, Paul makes it now exceedingly clear. The Old Testament was a ministry of condemnation. A ministry of death is what he calls it. It's strong language, right? It wasn't that there was no value in it, because there is. It wasn't that God wasn't present in it, because he was. It wasn't that there was no glory in it, because there was. But in comparison to the new covenant, it's simply not equal. And so in comparison to the new covenant, it's, it's of no equal value. So let me say this clearly. He is not disregarding the law. Amen? He's not disregarding the law. He is saying, he is not saying, therefore, he is not saying there is no value in the law. In fact, he emphasizes the glory found in the law. But now the glory is not found in the law. It is found in Christ. This is something that we have to grab a hold of as believers. Our righteousness is not found in works. Our righteousness is found in Jesus. Our righteousness is not found in, in stone tablets. Our righteousness is written on our hearts. He emphasizes the glory found in the law. I like that. What he's telling the early church and what's being told to us today is that by the law, listen to this, by the law you are guilty, guilty, guilty. No question. We are all guilty according to the law. But now under the blood of the new covenant, we are made righteous. We are made righteous, and that is more glorious than anything under the old covenant. Paul does this. I, I, this is interesting. He references what is sacred history to the Jewish people. When he talks about carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that Israelites could not gaze at his face, he's referencing Exodus, and specifically Exodus 34. And we're not going to read the whole chapter right now, but here's what happens. After Moses comes down from the mountain, after receiving the Ten Commandments, he receives the Ten Commandments. He comes down off of the mountain. And the Bible says the glory of the Lord shined on the skin of his face. 
the glory of the Lord shined on the skin of his face. In fact, so much so that the people were afraid to come near him. Just the glory of the Lord shone. The power, the glory of God being in his very presence, just a, just a portion of his presence, Bob. Right? He couldn't even show him all of himself. Just a portion of his presence and his, his face shone with the glory of God. The Israelites see him coming down and, and they can't even approach him because they're afraid. So here's what Moses does. Whenever he encounters the glory of God, every time he encounters the glory of God, he would wear a veil. He wears a veil. He covers his face. So the people could come and speak to him. He could teach them. He could lead them. He wears a veil. I like what this commentary says. One might first get the impression that Moses wore a veil so that the people wouldn't be afraid to come near him. The veil was to protect them from seeing the shining face of Moses. But in reality, it was not to hide the shining face of Moses. It was to hide the diminishing glory on his face because the glory was fading. The passing glory of the old covenant contrasts with the enduring glory of the new covenant. The permanent glory of the new covenant. Amen? Here's how Paul says it, verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, listen to this carefully, to this day, now of course we know that was written to the day of when Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, right? And we still see it to this day. When they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Amen? Say, the veil is removed. I used to struggle all the time. I used to struggle with, uh, I had water. Where's the water? I used to struggle all the time with the, how is it that people who love the Lord, Jewish people who love the Lord, who, who are uh, have a beautiful aspect of faith and, and loyalty and How do they miss it? I used to struggle with that all the time. Because I have a heart for Jewish people. I have a heart for God's chosen people. And I, how, do they, how do they miss it? Why can't they look at the Old Testament and see the prophecies and see what clearly points to Christ? How can they miss it? And here we see the very reason. Here we see that there is a veil that covers their hearts. There is literally a veil covering their hearts, and until they turn to the Lord, the veil will remain. 
One commentary noted that this isn't just a, a truth of the Jewish people. I don't know why I'm speaking into the water bottle. That was strange. I pulled it over here, and that was different. I'm going to take a drink and put it down. Because that got awkward for a second. I thought, where's the sound go? And I realized I was speaking into the water bottle. Woo! I like what this, uh, this commentary says. Listen, so this isn't just a truth among Jewish people. This is a truth among non-believers. There's a veil covering their hearts. And the veil that's covering their hearts might not be the law, but it's their own selfishness. It's their own divinity. They've made themselves God over their own line. And so the veil that's covering their hearts isn't the law, but it's still just as deadly. It's still just as drastic. It's still just as deceiving. Our prayer should be that all come to the Lord and the veil is lifted off their hearts. Amen? And now we come to the verse that has been ringing in my spirit. Verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is? You guys are good at this. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is? Amen? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, listen to this, we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, our proclamation of freedom in the Spirit is a freedom from the law. Amen? It's a freedom from fruitlessness. It's a freedom from death. It's a freedom from condemnation. It's a freedom from religion. Somebody say amen. Come on. It's a freedom from religion. And ultimately, it's a freedom from sin. It's a freedom from sin. I say ultimately because we know, how many know, that as believers, I like, I like, uh, I like what this says here. And we all with unveiled face. Who is that? That's believers. Those with unveiled face are those who have come to the Lord, those believers, right? But how many know that sometimes as believers, we still struggle? Sometimes as believers, we still struggle with anger. We struggle with sin. We struggle with lust. We struggle with all sorts of different things in our life. And so we struggle, and, and we struggle with this flesh nature. We struggle with this thing, listen, that God has already delivered us from. But we still struggle with it. We are saved, we are made righteous by the blood of Jesus, but how many know that we are still living in a sinful world with strong temptations, and at times we be, become overcome by our own desires and our own temptations? Christians who love the Lord, I mean love the Lord, but they struggle. Love the Lord, are saved, are made righteous by the blood, but are imperfect. Because we're all imperfect, right? Our perfection isn't in us. It's only found in Christ. We are beholding the glory of the Lord. And I like this, that we are being transformed 
from one degree of glory to another. There's some, some versions would say you're being transformed from glory to glory. I like that. You're being transformed from glory to glory. We are saved. We are redeemed. We have freedom. But God is continue, continuing to shape us into the image of the master. And he shapes us by leading us in his spirit. Romans 8 tells us that we are being conformed into his image. We are being transformed. How many know that sometimes, uh, I'll just be honest, how, how many know sometimes you don't like what you see in the mirror? Anybody? Listen, I don't always like what I see in the mirror. Sometimes, I'd be a little transparent with you this morning, Doug. Say, is that different from any other way? Is that... Sometimes you look in the mirror and you go, oh, there's bags under my eyes. I got, I feel horrible this morning. Right? You look in the mirror and you just, oh, splash some water on your face. You try to make yourself feel better. You're like, all right. Good. But sometimes we look in the mirror and we, we feel horrible about it. We, we look horrible. I don't always like what I see, right? Sometimes I look in the mirror and I shudder. Ugh. My wife looks at me and goes, honey, you're beautiful. It's okay. I don't know that she's ever said I'm beautiful in <laughs> 15 years of marriage. 13, 14, whatever. It works. Close enough. A lot of you guys know I like David Guzik. I like his commentary a lot. He has a lot of really good commentary and a lot of good stuff in it. He tells the story of a man in his 30s. His name is David. It wasn't me. It's probably not him. But he suffers from something called BDD, or body dysmorphic disorder. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. He was a normal-looking man, but whenever he looked in the mirror, he saw something that was horrible and grotesque. He was a normal-looking man, but he would look in the mirror, he would see a crooked nose. He would see a bulging eye. He didn't understand that it wasn't a physical issue, it was a mind issue. But because he couldn't understand that, he had surgery after surgery after surgery after surgery. Four surgeries to correct something that was normal. He was crippled by how he perceived himself. Some of us look in the spiritual mirror of our lives, and all we see is a horribly disfigured person. Sometimes we hold up the spiritual mirror, and we go, man, we're just, we are just messed up. But if you have come to Christ, you need to understand a truth this morning. The Bible says that little by little, we are being transformed from glory to glory. And when we hold up that spiritual mirror, listen, it's going to take a long time. It's not going to, it's, we're not going to get perfection until we reach glory, amen? We're not going to reach perfection until we pass on into glory, you know what I'm saying, right? But in the meantime, we are passing on from glory to glory. We are being transitioned from glory to glory. You say, Pastor David, it feels like I take two steps forward and three steps back. And two steps forward and three steps back. I feel like I'm always struggling to make it up the hill. I feel like I'm never good enough. I feel like I'm never, I'm never holy enough. I feel like I'm always condemned. I look in my spiritual mirror and I see someone that's ugly. 
It's because your view is distorted. It's because you think it's about your works. And because you don't understand that the blood has covered you. And when we look in the mirror of our image, it's not perfect, but it's being transformed from glory to glory. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I like what First, uh, First Corinthians 13 says, we have not yet attained it, right? We are looking through a mirror dimly. But soon we will see clearly. We are being transformed by intimacy with God. With these last words, I like how uh, uh, the commentary on First Corinthians or Second Corinthians is actually pretty fantastic. I'd encourage you to read it. But the way it ended in chapter three, I want to share with you this morning because it just it spoke it so clearly. With these last words, Paul emphasizes two things. First, this access to God and His transforming presence is ours by the new covenant. Because it is through the new covenant we are given the Spirit of the Lord. Amen? Secondly, this work of transformation really is God's work in us. It happens by the Spirit of the Lord, not by the will or effort of a man. We don't achieve or earn spiritual transformation by beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We simply put ourselves in a place where the Spirit of the Lord can transform us. I am convinced. I'm convinced that most of the transformation that will happen in our spiritual life isn't from hearing a message. It's not from going to a conference. It's not from turning on your special speaker on the TV. Most of the transformation that will happen in your spiritual life comes when you engage in worship and engage in prayer and engage with the presence and intimacy of God. If you'll stand with me this morning. Jenny, could you come and play? There's a song that's uh, there's a song that's been kind of burning in my heart. We talked about how beautiful the name of Jesus is and how powerful the name of Jesus is. And the song I don't know if you know but it says, "Oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see. And when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me." Oh, Lord, please light the fire that once burned bright and clear. Remind me of my first love that burned with holy fear. 
Lord, I pray over those who are here this morning, those who are watching over YouTube with their families. With an understanding that we have been set free from the old covenant and we are now in the new covenant. With an understanding that we are transformed from glory to glory once we have come to know Christ and have unveiled faces before God. Lord, my prayer over the people of this church, over those who are listening, those who are watching, would be that they would find ways to become intimate with you. To become intimate in worship, to become intimate in prayer, to rest in your presence. You say, Pastor David, prayer is just so, it's so hard for me. Prayer is just talking to God. Prayer is also you listening for God to speak to you. Worship is just coming into his presence and resting in his presence. What a simple thing just to say, Lord, I love you. Lord, you're beautiful. Your grace is all I need. Thank you, Lord, for your grace in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that we are under a new covenant this morning. Thank you that we have been set free from a ministry of death and condemnation. And help us to, to see in the spiritual mirror of our lives one who is being transformed from glory to glory. Lord, I thank you for those who are here, those who are listening. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. Lord, I pray that you would keep them. Lord, I pray that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, I pray that you would give us rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Listen, I hope you still have a little bit of the 4th of July weekend left, so have some fun with it. Um, spend time with families and celebrate. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next week.